I, uh, I have never seen a film, I think, uh, so, so aggressively be what it says it's going to be about. Uh, I, think, I think this is a first for me. Yeah, this is this is this is snakes on a plane level. Yeah. Oh, big time. You know, yeah. is it exactly what it says on the tin. Yep. Yeah. You get what you pay for. Uh, Ring of Fire was probably the last one we got. And, Rain of Fire. Uh, right. See, I always forget the title. <laughs> you fell down. And it a doesn't. Burning Ring of Fire. <laughs> and exactly, it doesn't. It could. It could have just been dra- Apocalypse Dragons. Yeah. And yeah. that would have. Yeah. Apocalypse Dragons. Be cowboys and aliens. Tell me what I'm getting. Oh. I love the smell of burning brimstone in the morning. Don't, like a, smells like victory. It's like the steak. <laughs> it's the steak frites of movies. Yes. You know what you get when you order steak frites? Steak and french fries. It's a, oh, yeah. so good. It's a perfect meal. It's, it's a good day. Oh, let's Cap- just call it quits and let's go get some steaks. Mm. Ah, that sounds delicious. No, we got to talk about this movie, huh? Yes, indeed. Hello again and welcome again to the Good Trash Owner where we gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film stays course. This week's film is Cowboys and Aliens, and I cannot make a joke about this movie because it is so specific in its titling that you cannot get away from it. Yeah, this movie robbed you of your usual uh, show-starting bit. I yeah. can't believe that Donald Trump produced a movie. Oh. That's... Wow. <laughs> Yikes. Hi. Welcome to the topical episode. Do me. All right. Well, there you go. Um, let's just move on and let's identify the disembodied voices speaking directly to your brains. Who are you, sir? I am Arthur Gordon, and nobody calls me Colonel. My name is Dalton Stewart, and get off my planes. My planes. That's, that's the line in this movie. They <laughs> have Harrison Ford say, get off my planes. I missed that somehow. It's fucking insane. It's great. My name's Dustin Sells, and I'm going to be Daniel Craig and say nothing. Yeah, there's... It's You say it best when you say nothing at all. There's mm. not a lot of dialogue in this movie. When no, there is, it's usually exposition. Craig. Yeah. And it and it's not it's not one liner heavy. It's, no, it, it, it's you know this movie ought to be yep. whip crack smart. It ought to it ought to be Will Smith reacting to aliens. That ought to be the dialogue in this kind of movie. It should I be should have been at a barbecue. Yeah, it should be funnier than it is. And it's not. It's, no. It is very very serious. Yes, it is. And so uh, we'll get to that. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, in case you're tuning into the Good Trash Genre Cast for the very first time, what a great episode for you to tune into. Welcome to our uh, westerns mega marathon yes so uh, the first half of that marathon was last month when we do anti-trash we do anti-trash every january we do films that would find their way into a film study syllabus but we decided that we wanted to not just do the western in that sense we also want to do the western in the good old-fashioned good trash sense and uh what better way to make sure that you know the western we're watching is good trash than to pick one with an alien invasion in it oh yeah it's yeah that's a uh, defining it's a yeah. signature so it, you, you thought it was all going to be tombstones. You thought it was going to be under underappreciated action gems. Yeah. Oh no, we're we're, we're giving we got it something to you good. silly in here. Yeah. Well, so we got Jean Favreau's Great Cowboys and Aliens. Now, in case you're tuning in for the very first time, what we do for the show is we do analysis, not review, and that does mean that we have to spoil in order to get that done. And the way we avoid that, though, for the first part of the show, and just in case you have not watched the film, is this: we do a synopsis from the Voice of the Cinema, and after that follows, we have our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which tend to be entirely spoiler free, and then we move into a game. Which could vaguely spoil a little bit um, something of this film or other films in its orbit, depending on what orbit we establish by the rules of said game. Then we get down to business, and once that happens, all spoiler bets are off. So that's your warning. Um, that's when the embargo happens. So uh, without any further ado, then, um, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, stroker of the lovely and luxurious beard, let us hear that synopsis, please. A spaceship arrives in Arizona. 1873, to take over the Earth, starting with the Wild West region. 
a posse of cowboys and natives are all that stand in their way. I think that synopsis is wrong. I what? think it's New Mexico territory. It's definitely way too green for Arizona. I'm pretty sure it is New Mexico. That is a because they go to Santa Fe. Yeah, or they're going to go to Santa the, Fe. That's yeah. right. So the um, IMDb was you, the you blew was it. it just an Arizona territory? Mm, good point. Arizona was its own territory, but New but. Mexico was its ter- own territory as well, if memory serves. Again, there's no way they shot this film in Arizona. That's what happens when you get user-generated content for your website. Some oceanfront property in Arizona. But look, what are we going to do? Write a synopsis? <laughs> no. Yeah, we're just going to pull it off IMDb. You yep. done lost your mind. Yeah. Uh, look, I know some, don't reinvent the I wheel. Know, I know some film podcasts are good and start with a, a real quick rundown of the plot of the film in case you didn't watch it. Sorry, you should watch the movie. Uh, we're here to spoil it. Yeah, exactly. So, well, without any further ado, though, let's get right into those thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Hey, Dalton. Yeah. Do you like Cowboys and Aliens? It's fine. I've seen worse movies. I've seen better movies. Um, there were explosions. Daniel Craig wore a cool hat. Uh, Harrison Ford showed up and got paid. Sam Rockwell played Sam Rockwell. Uh, Olivia Wilde played Olivia Wilde and then also was uh, a fire angel and then was also something else we're getting into spoilers a little bit but i gotta get into spoilers to tell you what's interesting about her character unfortunately it's it's fine i mean it there's a an interesting visual flair to this film i will give it that because john favreau is decidedly trying to shoot a western he actually insisted to shoot it on 35 millimeter uh because westerns are not shot on digital arthur told us that in the group chat and i was delighted by that Mm -hmm. Uh, the studio really wanted this to be a 3d uh post-conversion job or uh shot in 3d and he said nope Westerns get shot on celluloid, and uh, I got respect for that. I think that's really cool. And again, I think this film looks a lot like a Western. Uh, it's just uh, a shame that I feel like they could have made it also look like the uh, the 50s B-movie. It's clearly a send-up of. Um, you know, obviously it's based on a comic book, but it's got this kind of, this 50s B-movie ethos. This, uh, the day the earth stood still, well, that's a bad example. Uh, I mean, them, the giant ants movie. Like, it's it's got this, this genre mashup it's doing warrants more camp and as we mentioned this film is pretty self-serious and that that makes it harder to like and it's 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 weird that a movie called cowboys and aliens is hard to like but yeah it's just it's got a lot working against it and i think the majority of that is it's that very self-serious tone um because people are just getting snatched up by these aliens left and right and i don't care at all i have no interest in who's getting snatched up and who's going to be on the posse to uh to free them um there is an attempt to make us invested in characters. There's some interplay between Harrison Ford's character and Adam Beach's character that's kind of interesting uh, and deals with uh, uh, the very uh, common practice of found families that happen when you have a, a lawless land, when you know people die young or have to go off somewhere else and can't get back easily. So the, the found families of the frontier, I think, is a nice touch in here, but it doesn't, doesn't really ever sell it for me, uh, nor does it sell me Daniel Craig's... Uh, uh, badass gone good. I just I, I don't buy anybody's arc or motivation. I'm I, I'm here for the pretty lights, and it gives me the pretty lights, but it doesn't give me a whole lot else. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Thank you very much. What do you think, Arthur Gordon? Thumbs up, thumbs down on Cowboys and Aliens? Yeah, I think they're kind of sit there in the middle as well. Um, I remember seeing this in theaters, and I enjoyed it a bit. Then uh, this time around, it's it's like Dalton said, it's fine. Uh, I I think the first hour is pretty strong when it's kind of a straight western and. Even when it starts flirting with some of those sci-fi elements, I think it, it holds pretty well. I, I really just kind of get bored by the third act, though. It's it's done. I mean, I don't know. Just invading a thing and blowing things up. And I'm, I'm just not. There's better ways to go about it. I think. Um, yeah, once you've seen one alien's hand chest, you've seen them all. 
Yeah. It, it, chest hands. It's rather. fine. Chest hands. That was a production design choice. Um, character design. It's weird. It's a weird one. Kind of anyway, like it though. It's you know what I will say this though. This movie was made in 2011. Those visuals hold up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost. Favreau a is very strong with CGI. He's a. I think he's a great director when it comes to dealing with CGI and special effects. And I think we've seen that kind of over and over with the Marvel stuff, the Disney stuff. They entrust him with these multi-million-dollar CGI fest animated remakes and. I can see why he's very competent. I don't. Yeah. I don't think he he gets the credit for his competence. He's a strong journeyman, uh, I, big time. I, I think so, and, and so I appreciate that about the movie. Uh, I do wish it was a little sharper. I, the 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 thing that really got me though this time around was like, you've got all these side characters and extras who have that very Western dialect and very. There's a very Western vernacular to their things, and then all the main cast just sound like they just walked out of a off the. You know Hollywood Boulevard or whatever. Yeah, Harrison Ford, Olivia Wilde, and, and um, Daniel Craig are all in a different movie. Yeah, they're all in a different movie, and, and so that's kind of off-putting. Like, uh, do some uh, adopt the dialect, rework rework your script or something to to make it a little more nuanced. I, I, those things matter, I think, uh, for selling this. And I think that's you know to Dalton's point, it doesn't sell what it is as well as it could. Uh, I love the cast. Though. I mean, Daniel Craig, uh, Harrison Ford, Paul Dano. Uh, Paul Dano is fun here. He's a blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of the ones who is has come to play yeah. westerns he's come to yeah. play cowboys he he's he is sold out to that role and so i appreciate that about his character and i think he's a lot of fun here it's this kind of sniveling weasel I, I i like those dynamics i mean all of those kind of western tropes are there the rich barren you know guy that runs the town the, the cowardly son the 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 saloon owner and all the those saloon elements o- are owner there. slash doctor is a very good role for sam rockwell yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I like all of those nods that are at play but yeah this, this time around I, I think it's a fun novelty to see once but after that it's, it's if you've seen it you've seen it and it's not gonna light any fires for you well, what about you dustin where do you come in on uh, cowboys and aliens i've only seen it the once and i'm a bit warmer than you guys i interesting had, i had fun with this movie yeah. it, it is a blast now taken point i watched it with an 11 year old boy ah and he was like dude the whole movie and i have to say i also duded um i probably duded the first time i saw it i think it was a lot of fun i guess i just it didn't make me dude enough uh, I, I when the when the one dude goes to dude in the river and the aliens show up, it's a it's a that, pretty good moment. That is good. That is a great moment. I, sh- I should be more delighted by Daniel Craig jumping on the back of a of a flying saucer. I really should be. You, yeah, you should be. And I, I, I'm not. I think it's a failure on your part. Well, all right, I'll right. accept that. Um, but no, um, I had a good time with it, and I do agree. I I I want the western. I just want the western that it could have been. Uh, that I think that's really really interesting. But that being said, it is fun and it is it is played seriously. But really, I think it earns the seriousness. I think a camp version of it honestly would have been stupid. I think I might have been really irritated with some it. of the reviews I said saw said that as well. Like it playing it serious helps its case. I, I, I think it works. I mean, that being said, I huh. I, I wished I had. The, just the Western without the aliens. I, I think it was an interesting sort of putting all these people together and working on a situation. But I will say this. This is how you know character development You know, in the, that first hour works is that there is a massive moment of alien abduction. This is not a spoiler, I would say. And when certain characters are abducted, I mean, both me and the boy were like, no, and we, we did not want them to get snatched. There is one character who gets snatched that I also was upset by, but 
it had more to do with the actor than the character. Uh, well, no, both and. Uh, both mm. and. And again, there was um, two of them particularly that I was just like, oh, no, I don't want that. Mm, okay. And, and it, was, it worked. And so, yeah. And again, stacked cast, uh, good performances from everybody, and a shot that looks like a Western. And also, I think the sci-fi stuff really kind of works in a weird way. So um, I'm, a, I'm a, a bit warmer. You know, I'm in the B territory, you know, as far as grading this movie uh, rather than sort of the C average that it sounds like you guys are giving it. Um, but, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm like, good effort. Well done. Um, so there you go, dear listener. Um, those are our biases, uh, concerning this particular film. Um, we would also like for you to talk to us about this and tell us, tell them rather how they can talk to us. I will, Dustin. Hi, listener. This is the part of the show that Dustin calls social media. I've decided to think of this more of, uh, what we do instead of commercials. If you've been listening to the show for a while now, you've realized we don't have ads. We tried it once. It was a bad idea. It didn't work out very well. We have much more fun uh, just doing this, uh, which is the part where we just tell you how you can further enjoy this, how you can help it grow. And, uh, yeah, this is what we do instead of ads is we, uh, we, we pimp ourselves out to you and try to convince you we should be a bigger part of your lives. Uh, this has been an exciting week for Good Trash Media. Obviously, Good Trash Media is not just this show, The Good Trash Honorcast. It's other shows, uh, like Arthur and uh, his, his wonderful wife, Keisha, who uh, every week open their home to Dustin and I so we can record this. Uh, they've got their own show called You've Got Love, where they're going to be doing an analytic discourse uh, over uh, romantic comedies and also just kind of talking about them through the lens of... Uh, how accurate a depiction of this is a relationship. Uh, we've also got the brand new show, A Loose Five, from uh, Oklahoma City comedy legend Wampus Reynolds, uh, where uh, each episode he breaks down parts of a late night set, which is considered a tight five minutes of comedy. And uh, him and a guest uh, break it down. The very first episode, he has a uh, Oh, I forgot his guest's name, but he has on a guy who's actually written a couple of books about comedy and a novel about comedy. Uh, and they're talking about uh, Andy Kindler's set from uh, Letterman in 2014. It was a really fun first episode. Uh, I think the structure of it's going to be that uh, next week him and this guest are going to talk about the second joke from that set. So uh, they'll break down the full set over the course of a season, uh, which will be uh, how the interviews play out over there. So I think uh, very fun stuff happening for us, though, here at uh, Good Trash Media. So go check those shows out. It would mean a lot to us. Um, again, we're not just making this show. If you want to find those shows, you can just go to goodtrashmedia.com or to your uh, podcast app of choice. Uh, look, stick to iTunes for right now. We're also on Stitcher. We're looking at getting everything on Spotify, but uh, that's harder than iTunes. So stick to iTunes for right now. Or if that doesn't work for you, just go to goodtrashmedia.com. That's where all the shows and all the written content live. Uh, if you want to be a part of this, as Dustin mentioned, you can just uh, find us on the Internet. We're at good underscore trash for all things Good Trash Media. Uh, we've also got tags for other shows on the network that have their own Twitter accounts, like uh, You've Got Love and The Praise Down with Heath and Alex. Uh, but uh, that's going to be the best and quickest place to go, good underscore trash on Twitter. Uh, you can also get involved uh, the listener group over on Facebook. Uh, you can also just go to patreon.com forward slash GTM and uh, click uh, click over there a couple of times, and that gives us money if you're so inclined. Uh, you get access to all kinds of fun extra content, like we just uh, discussed our 11 through 15 picks for our best film, our favorite films of 2018. Uh, we did uh, 1 through 10 here on the show, main show proper. But if you want to hear more about uh, our thoughts on the year that was 2018 in film, go over to patreon.com. It'll talk to you about giving us money, and you'll get some free stuff. Well, you paid for it, but it's better. It's better because you paid for it with your hard-earned dollars, which means we worked harder on that. So, uh, yeah, this part of the show is over. This is how you support us. Uh, don't forget the rating and reviewing thing. That's important, too.
All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I believe now it's time to play the game. It might feel good. It might sound a little something. But damn the game. If it don't mean nothing, what is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game. I got game. And we're back. And this week's game is our favorite amnesiac characters. That's right. Favorite cinematic amnesiacs brought to you by Cowboys and Aliens. Cowboys and Aliens. Daniel Craig ain't got no memory because he got bonked on the noggin. Uh, with that or just aliened? He did get aliened. Uh, that didn't, does tend to make the, the noggin squishy. Worked out better for him than it did John Hurt. It did. So anyway, um, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to just go through those uh, top three picks, each of us. Number first for you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What is, what is, who's your favorite amnesiac? Uh, my first pick is actually she suffers from a short-term memory loss, which uh, leads to a lot of uh, fun shenanigans playing out. Uh, that is Lucy Whitmore, played by Drew Barrymore in Fifty First Dates with Adam Sandler, their first pairing together. Uh, and it's a charming little film, but it's a it's a it's a fun. Uh, it's a fun premise, uh, insofar as you can say short-term memory loss is fun, uh, but it's a good setup, I think, for a romantic comedy. Uh, it kind of plays with the same tropes in an inverted way as something like Groundhog's Day or, or Happy Death Day, where essentially she lives the same day over and over and over again. Um, her character has been placed into a world where uh, everybody just reenacts the, the last thing they did with her. Uh, and, and so it's an interesting dynamic when she does meet a guy who's not of this kind of uh, facade that has been established. And so the way that kind of works out is interesting. And, and Drew Barrymore just plays it so well. She's got such a sweet charm about her uh, and she brings a lot of heart and um, empathy to that role. And, and I think plays it really strongly. She's she's just great at comedy. She's great at finding the pathos in a comedic character. Yeah, uh, and so she's uh, maybe a little under underrated as a comedian, uh, if you will. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great performance from her, and I think it's one of you know it's kind of one of Sandler's last strong efforts uh, in that that kind of career he had in, in the I guess that's early two thousands uh, when they made that one together. And so that's going to be my first pick, uh, Lucy Whitmore. Excellent, excellent. Well, what is your number first pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Uh, my number first pick is Gina Davis as Samantha slash Charlie in The Long Kiss Goodnight. Uh, now, it does bear mentioning I have not seen this film in its entirety in a very long time, like uh, since I was a small child. But I wanted to put this list, uh, this pick on my list because it's uh, the first film I remember uh, being uh, exposed to uh, amnesia as a plot device. Uh, it's, it's the very first amnesia movie I remember seeing. Uh, and I was just always so fascinated by what that meant for a character. And uh, obviously, so are a lot of storytellers, because it is a really common device in storytelling. I, I, you know, there's something very central to our memories and uh, how that makes us who, are, who we are. So it's only natural that uh, so many films are going to dive into this 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 idea. Uh, but Gene Davis is just great here. It's also uh, one of the roles that made me uh, fall in love with Sam Jackson as uh, as well as her. The two of them together are uh, are great buddy cop energy. Uh, the script here from Shane Black, no surprise that uh, there is quite a, a good interplay between these two characters. But uh, yeah, again, it's been so long that I don't want to speak uh, on anything because I can't remember what's important and what's not in the film. Uh, just it's mostly. Uh, uh, conversation scenes and images that I remember, but it's it's a film that uh, I've been wanting to catch back up with because yeah, it's just it's the first uh, exposure I had to this idea of uh, an amnesiac character carrying uh, the weight of a story. Uh, so that's my first pick, D Dustin. What's your number first pick? My number first pick is uh, Frank Darabont's uh, The Majestic, starring Jim Carrey. Oh. Uh, Jim Carrey 
basically plays a fictitious version of Dalton Trumbo, blacklisted because of uh, socialist communist ties, is in a car accident. What? A Dalton, a communist? I never. Uh, uh, indeed. Um, and uh, then he sort of washes up on the shore of this little small town and um, is mistaken for the long-lost son and runs a theater for a while. And the magic of the movies and finding life, it's got a very It's a Wonderful Life kind of feel going along with it as well. And uh, Jim Carrey, as a straight, uh, again, sort of sincere actor, is uh, underappreciated. And uh, he's very, very solid in uh, that particular role. And it's a great movie that just just sort of came and went. And uh, it's too bad that it did because I really, really enjoyed The Majestic quite a lot. I think it kind of got sw- caught up in the uh, the swell that was uh, both The Truman Show and then... Um, Oh my God! Uh, Eternal Sunshine. Sunshine. Thank yeah. you. The 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 two kind of big E's on the I chart for uh, Jim Carrey's dramatic turns. Right. I think the majestic falling in between those two just kind of let it get lost. And I don't know if Eternal Sunshine's on either of your list for amnesia movies. But, it's not. It okay. almost was. I mean, and I like it a lot, but I really I think I like what's going on with Majestic more because I mean I I don't know if I'm as into sci-fi amnesia as much, but anyway, um, I like the Majestic and I would pick it over Eternal Sunshine. I think. So there you go. That's number first. What's number next, Mr. Arthur Gordon? Uh, This next movie is one that is full of twists and turns and cons, and that is The Addams Family. Really? Oh, Fester is an amnesiac. As Uncle Fester, um, who is, okay, spoiler alerts for a movie that's like 20 years old at this point. Um, almost 30? Is that right? Jeez. Creeping up on it because I'm almost 30. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, anyway, yeah. So spoiler alert. Um, this, uh, this character shows up who uh, looks a lot like Fester, uh, and uh, the, a family lawyer, I think, tries to con him off as Fester and trying to get into the Adams family uh, jewels uh, and, and steal their, their riches. Uh, and uh, come to find out, it is actually Uncle Fester, and he's been suffering from amnesia. Uh, Incredible. And that is just, the Adams family is just a great comedy. Uh, Barry yes. Sonnenfeld does some great work with that movie, uh, with the, just a stacked cast uh, of characters, and Christopher Lloyd as Uncle Fester is just so much fun. He's so sweet and so endearing, and he just goes all in on that role. And it's, it's an underappreciated bit of character work, I think, from Christopher Lloyd, whose career just never has, I don't think, had the uh, the level of success that, you know, after the 80s that I kind of hoped he would have. You know, he's a, he's a great actor. He's a great comedian, and, and that's a, just a great bit. And it's a, it's a fun way to tell and adapt that story for the big screen to give it kind of a linear narrative. Uh, to make it play for you know ninety minutes or whatever, uh, because I think adapting TV can be really hard, and I think Adam's especially sitcoms. Yeah, and I think Adam's Family is one of the most successful adaptations, and and, I, and you can see why, and, and a lot of it's due to the work of guys like uh, Christopher Lloyd as Uncle Fester, and giving it that kind of slant and and reintroducing these characters in that way. So that's that's my next pick. Excellent, excellent. I like that very much. What is your number next pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Well, this one's kind of an obvious in the pantheon of amnesiacs, but I am going to go with Christopher Nolan's Memento and Guy Pierce's character Leonard as uh, the amnesiac in question. Yeah, look, this is an obvious pick, but what a film. Mm-hmm. What a remarkable movie. It, it really does stand the test of time. Um there are plenty of people out there who still think it's Christopher Nolan's best film, and I'm not going to call that an invalid opinion. I think, uh, looks, it's it's great. I mean, it is unequivocally fantastic, uh, and, and I think that's why some people who are kind of resistant to Nolan's charms as a filmmaker still go back to that film, because I think what works about that is just so obvious. Uh, and so it's such a wonderful magic trick that uh, begs you to revisit, uh, and uh, there's just something kind of uh, wonderful about about what's going on in that film. 
Uh, and a big part of that is the performance from Guy Pierce as Leonard, who just brings so much depth to that character. Uh, and, and really, all the choices that that character makes that he doesn't even have to live with, uh, Guy Pierce still somehow finds a way to put that on Leonard's face in, in every scene. Uh, and it really is a remarkable performance and a, a remarkable film. And again, it's an obvious pick, but one I, I feel like we would uh, be fools to not mention. Uh, a film that I would love to revisit on this show. Yeah, uh, we did it way, 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 way back. We did. The second month of this show's run. Um, and we've talked for a long time about uh, maybe we should go revisit some films that we've done before. And this would be one that I would be uh, really curious to see how it's aged with us uh, over the course of the last, uh, well, better part of a decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good, very good. I like Memento a lot. It very nearly made my list. But for my number next pick, I'm owing back to 1945. Yeah, huh? Um, give me some Inger Bergman. Give me some Gregory Peck. Give me a little Alfred Hitchcock, and make a movie called Spellbound, uh, which is a great little uh, psychological thriller um, from Alfred Hitchcock. Again, produced with David O. Selznick, in which uh, Greg Peck's character is suffering from amnesia uh, due to a traumatic event in childhood and uh, is suspended of murder throughout he begins to understand what it is that has happened to him and the sort of intricacies of the plot against him through a uh, set of dreams that are psychoanalyzed by Inger Bergman but the dreams themselves are realized on film and designed by Salvador Dali himself and it is fascinating absolutely fascinating and again it's a very very early sort of usage of that particular stuff um so uh, ben Hecht, Angus McFadden work on the uh, script there, and so it's very, very solid stuff. Um, so I'm recommending 1945's Spellbound. Number last, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your selection? Uh, my next pick is not a, a person, but it is a robot, and that is the titular Bumblebee from Bumblebee. Huh. Um, which is, it's a fun play on that. Obviously, I think you could mention something like RoboCop, where you're doing some of the same things, but this is a... You know, there's something even more further removed from humanity when you're dealing with a robot that could turn into a car. Um, and I think, uh, it, yeah, there's 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 something less human about car robot than Peter Sellers in a plastic costume. Yes, I said Peter Sellers. Uh, <laughs> I want that movie. Damn, so Peter bad. Weller. Peter Weller. Uh, I'll take Sellers though. Damn, Robo Panther. Yeah, Tom Selleck. Do 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 do. Would he still have the mustache? Yes. Okay. Of course Do-do-do-do. he would. Do do. Yeah, I just want this Pink Panther RoboCop reboot. Oh I'm my into it. gosh! Um, anyway, yeah, yeah Bumblebee, Bumblebee. Uh, is just uh, the good Transformers movie. Yeah, it's a charming little, uh, you know, making it this kind of fish out of water uh, story about Bumblebee and, and working it that way adds so much heart uh, and emotion to a series that lacks heart and emotion. Um, and Bumblebee is just, I think, a, a, a good way to play it. He's very sweet. Uh, and he's kind of like a lost puppy dog, but he's also smarter than that. And, and it's a fun element to play with this kind of fish out of water story. And uh, it's it's done so well, and it's just um, very enjoyable to to watch that play out. Uh, you know, as he's trying to figure out who he was, trying to re understand his abilities and strengths, and why he is what he is, and why he's doing what he's doing, and where he is. Um, and why he's alone, and I, I think it's a fun way to play that. And so I'm going to go with the Bumblebee. All right. What is your number last pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart? My number last pick is another obvious one. It is Matt Damon as Jason Bourne, specifically in The Bourne Identity, which uh, for me, for my money, it's the only one of those films that I, I really care about. 
uh, I think there's things to like in uh, two and three, and I never got to uh, the Jeremy Renner one or the this most recent one. But I really like the first movie. Uh, it's just got a really specific look, uh, and Matt Damon's performance is really good. There is a shock on his face every time he manhandles somebody early in that film, especially the first time he gets accosted by the police. Born Identity upgrade double bill. Yeah, it's a great. It's it's honestly something I thought a lot about when Upgrade came out this year was uh, this kind of this lineage of accidental badassery that uh, the Born Identity kicks off uh, in 2002. Uh, it's a real game changer for action cinema. There's an episode of uh, Switchblade Sisters that just uh, dropped recently with the director of Close, uh, this Netflix vehicle for uh, Numi Rapace, uh, and they talked a lot about the Born Identity, and uh, it's it's kind of. Uh, its place in the the pantheon of like modern action classics because uh, look that film's almost 15 is over 15 years old at this point like it's kind of back there now in the the canon of, of american action cinema and I, I think it does a lot for the genre 2001 uh 2002 I believe. It's almost but, 20 years yeah. yeah oh god it is almost 20 years you're right wow jeez had that Adams family moment, didn't yeah, you? I just mm-hmm. did. But I mean, that's I, I think that goes to show this film has had staying power, and I think it, it turned uh, Matt Damon into a, a big time movie star, and I, I think it it, it uh, kind of started the era of post nine eleven action movies in a very serious way, yeah, because uh, it was kind of the first one, and uh, I, I think it's got a good place in that lineage because it started off strong, being a question that asked or being a film that asks questions about the nature of political violence in the 21st century. Uh, so all of that aside, it all gets funneled into this very this very interesting character of uh, Jason Bourne, who has lost his memory due to trying to do the right thing. Uh, spoilers alert for, as Arthur has mentioned, almost 20-year-old movie. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think Matt Damon's great in it. And uh, there's something about... Uh, the amnesiac in an action movie. It's a really, really common trope, and I've got two on my list, but uh, I felt like I had to mention it. Very good, very good. Well, one of my favorite films of all time, of all time, is an amnesia film, and it's David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Um, Knew it. You know, Laura Herring's character. Totally fair. Slash Naomi Watts' character, also sort of, kind of. And it, to what extent is it amnesia? Is it a dream in which there is amnesia? I, You know, we could... We could definitely be making charts and graphs with straws, but we're not going to do that right now. Oh, I'll uh, I'll leave my project in the car then. Okay, sorry about that. Um, but it's it worked really hard. On but Mulholland Drive is one of the greatest films of the 21st century. You know, it's definitely and one of the greatest films of all time, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, the the amnesia plot is an integral to it, but there is so much more going on to it than just that. And it is an excellent sort of uh, investigation into how the Hollywood system chews you up and spits you out. And uh, that desire for fame and fortune and uh, the sort of danger that goes along with it and uh, the way in which the eye looks at the woman's body. And I think in a way I was I, I used to be a little bit more grossed out by the sex in it. But now I think about it and going, no, that's exactly what it does, because that's exactly what it does. Yeah. And it makes sense more to me now than it did. Well, the depictions of sexuality after the turn in that film, I mm-hmm. think, are uh, the context you need for the sex that happens prior to the turn of that film. Right. I think that's kind of the key to unlocking the, the places where that film feels gross. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it, that, that's, that's, I think that's all very, very purposeful. Yeah. So it's a great uh, movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. So um, Mulholland Drive is my number last pick. So there you go, dear listener. We'd like to know what your selections are. Uh, send us your list on Twitter. And, At uh, good underscore trash. And we would love to respond to that. But now, I believe, it's time to get down to business. It's business. It's business. Yes, 
indeedy, and that business is, as always, analysis. Um, <sighs> uh, yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, I got nothing. Postmodern, you know, genre mashup, it does that. Yes, example. Okay. Um, I do have one thing I want to think about in terms of style, though, and, and, okay. and formalism, because we, you know, Arthur mentioned how it shot on film and in twoed rather than threed, and uh, I like that. Two um, D and three D. That was cute. Uh, just in case the listener didn't catch what you were doing there. Twoed. It's, it's twoed, not threed. I gotcha. Um, and that choice to shoot it on celluloid. Such a dad, Arthur. If I get this this boring uh, when I'm a dad, just tell me. It's okay. You won't hurt my feelings. You guys are hurting my feelings. <laughs> you hurt my feelings all the time. I'm very sensitive. Put your shoes on. Come to school. Come to. <laughs> all right, sir. Um, <laughs> however, there is this thing going on as well with the memory sequences. There is a way in which the 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 the, the celluloid, the emulsion, is being manipulated in a way that creates a different kind of imaging for the sort of repressed memories of Daniel Craig's character. And there's a stark sort of distinction between those two different moments throughout the film. And I think that's interesting to sort of remark upon that as a thing. But the way in which it is done, I'm just curious, how do we see, if we see, I'm going to suggest this idea and see if you guys thought about it at all. I've got an idea or two about it, but I'm not. they're not very well fleshed out. How does this sort of play into the 80s and 90s, especially uh, moment of obsession with alien abduction and re- repress regressive memory and that kind of stuff. What we think about that with this film? The the few times I can remember, and I think a lot about maybe the X Files or I, you know I've seen some unsolved alien. mysteries yeah. is what I kept thinking about. Um, and there's always that kind of it's it's not just a filtering thing. You know, we kind of got that codification of color, and you know mm-hmm. the 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 memories are I think that shot in like yellow or orange or something like the that. green is very saturated yeah. looking to me. Yeah, um, something like that to just distinguish that. But there's also this kind of not necessarily like a fisheye lens but there's just something kind of offsetting up making it kind of blurry and not everything's you know concrete it feels kind of dreamy and uh, blurry and 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 so i i think uh it kind of echoes some of that stuff from the 80s and 90s when you'd see an alien abduction play out in some form or fashion on tv or in the movies um and so i can see those kind of stylistic through lines at play there yeah and I just I, I find it interesting to sort of run that into the midst of the Western, you know, the sort of idea of abduction, of of being removed from where you are in order to be used. And I and I I think that this begins to work on a really sort of, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A kind of kind of a self-reflexive, critical way in which Western films tend to be these stories about westward expansion. Um, they, they they're undergirded by the indis- about myth making a little bit. Yeah, yeah. The, the industry of slavery and uh, the Native American removals and genocide uh, that followed that, and to sort of use the again uh, um, 80s and 90s, especially sort of American anxiety about alien abduction, and then to invest that with the additional um, set of signifiers and of meaning uh, when, when you're dealing with the Western, which is also stories about abduction, also stories about exploitation, also those kinds of stories. Well, that leads us into what I think is the most interesting, one of the most interesting things uh, about the film is the way it uses the external force of uh, these uh, extraterrestrial invaders to force uh, the union of uh, the uh, the American colonists and the indigenous peoples. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this is a common trope, right? Alien invasion is the only thing that can force uh, humans to put aside their uh, differences and stop acting a fool. Uh, but it, it's used very well here. And, and I think uh, what you're talking about, Dustin, that, that kind of hooks those tropes together in a way that 
does make the film feel uh, like it has a little bit more gravitas maybe than it actually has mm-hmm. is by the the linking of uh, those cinematic tropes. These uh, the uh, 90s, as you mentioned, language of alien abduction with the Western trope of abduction and tying those th- two things together in this outside threat that would, you know, force this uh, this alliance. Uh, it really kind of fits the film together both thematically and from a plot standpoint in an interesting way. Yeah, and I, I think that sort of, again, and then pulling into it some po- post-colonial uh, sort of thinking as well with the film uh, to think that here they are coming. They're coming after our specific resources. They're coming gold, gold, and that Harrison Ford's character, um, Dollarhide, which is a great name. Um, it's a good one, Woodrow Dollarhide. Uh, man, what a, what a name! Um, but that his uh, his his first question is what they want to buy something, and he's sort of like, what do they need money for? What do you need money for? I know, right? Exactly. And, and, and I was rich thinking, people don't think about what they need it for. No, yeah, they just need it. When I was thinking about the Native American reaction to westward expansion, yeah. you want to own land for what? How do you own? How, how first of all, how do you own land, and what do you want it for? Yeah, and, and the sort of just the the other incredulity at it, the idea that aliens would want something we've got when they've got an entire universe that they can run around and grab stuff in, that it, it would be that sort of just unthinkable and, again, just sort of just utterly inhumane. We set the world on fire for spices. Yeah. So our food would taste better. Yeah. Colonization's fucked up, man. Yeah. It, it doesn't, uh, especially when you're throwing two cultures together for the first time in the context of uh, competition and conflict, uh, there's going to be times where uh, one side's like, wait, what? What are we even doing this for? You guys suck. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it, it really is an interesting uh, recon- recontextualization uh, of, uh, of something that literally happened uh, in the history of human beings. Right. And so I, I, that, I think, makes it a bit more meaningful. Uh, it does make it a bit more interesting than simply cowboys and aliens. Let's do the big mashup, and it's dumb and yeah, it's fun, got something to it, you know. And so I, I really, really enjoy that about it. And I think that's where we come back to that sort of playing it straight thing. If it was this big wacky, I'm thinking Wild Wild West kind of thing. Oh yeah, I know? wasn't going that far, but sure, okay. You know, I mean, there's going to well, Mars attacks. Maybe. Mars attacks. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to fight the giant space monster. See, I'm thinking even more something like a Young Guns, just like a little bit more comedy. Like yeah, Mavericky. I need some more jokes. This movie yeah. needs more jokes. I could, I could see that. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not going. Uh, it doesn't need a full camp makeover. But it could use a little taste of it. Yeah, I guess that's that's where I, I come down because I think you can still have those interesting themes in, in a way that you know if you're not going to be able to connect me to your characters, you can at least connect me to your ideas, uh, and maybe if you allow humor to, to breathe and is those scenes of humor like characters breathe, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's I think that's part of why I feel like that's the element that's missing. That's probably fair. Well, um, okay, so those are my really only thoughts. Regarding this jelly movie. Yeah, there's not a whole lot else to it. I mean, I guess we could talk a little bit about uh, the set pieces within this film. And, you know, as we've been watching Westerns, we've seen a lot of, you know, Western action set pieces. I feel like maybe we can address uh, the ways in which they adapt some pretty standard uh, set pieces to this new context. Uh, I mentioned earlier... Uh, before we got to, to analysis, uh, that Daniel Craig jumps off, uh, rides his horse alongside this alien ship and jumps on the back of it. Which like, is like a stagecoach like or a tra- train, train robbery. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's kind of cool to see 
things that we're used to in Westerns kind of retrofitted for this different story. Well, even the posse setting out, right? We've got the posse setting out to find the find the bad guy, but it turns out to be a... Uh... It's the Searchers. Yeah. But with aliens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard uh, Spielberg screened uh, the Searchers and Close Encounters for Favreau to uh, kind of get a feel for this movie. That's kind of fun. That is fun. And, I mean, it does definitely feel like the mashup of those two things, you know, aesthetically and narratively speaking. Oh, for sure, yeah. There's the, the inciting uh, first contact and then the the pursuit of more contact. Yeah, the, I can see the overlaps there, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very interested uh, in the role that Olivia Wilde's character plays in this film. Do we want to talk about that a little bit as the, uh, the, the good alien? Uh, yeah, she's a good alien. She's another victim of, you know, the sort of genocide that's taken place. She's and... the silver surfer. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. Honestly, yeah. She's the herald of the destroyers to come. But not much work to do. Yeah, it really sucks, unfortunately, because she's good. Uh, I mean, I'm a big yeah, fan of Olivia she has Wilde. Moments, but I mean, she she uh, has the look for ethereal and alien. I mean, look, she's she's very pretty and has kind of a specific look. Uh, but they they're just leaning on the casting. They're leaning on the fact that Olivia Wilde looks like Olivia Wilde to do all the the heavy work, and um, it just kind of makes this moment where she sacrifices herself for all the human characters not feel like it means anything. We don't, we're, we're not really invested in her. Uh, we've already had the fake out of her death once, so we've just kind of accepted that she's on borrowed time anyway. And uh, it feels like a bummer because it kind of introduces uh, complexities. Again, as we've mentioned, this film deals with forced alliances, uh, specifically between its native characters and its white characters. Uh, and to use that kind of... Uh, as this this fulcrum for this uh, function of uh, abductions, right in this Western story slash alien story, and, and to not get the narrative meat out of a character who is also an alien who has also previously been a victim of this uh, this genocide that's being attempted by uh, the the villains of the film, to not connect those things together just feels like a missed opportunity. Well, she just serves as an exposition vehicle. Exactly. At that point. As our, Arthur said, she's a silver surfer. Yeah. So yeah. uh, the big I mean, kind of looking at this, let's look at this. We don't really do a lot of this is just looking at the general narrative structure. It sounds like there are just too many irons in the fire. You know, I think maybe if we could pull out some of that and just focus in on a few things rather than trying to uh, encompass as many kind of character arcs that they're trying to do and many little subplots as you've got at play. It sounds like uh, maybe that's where the, the things get lost is there's not. There's a lot of good ideas, but not enough focus or or cultivation to make all of them grow properly. Yeah, Daniel Craig shouldn't be the lead, I think is what it is, uh, Arthur, because you're right. As we've been talking about this, that is what the problem is. There's too many irons in the fire. You know how you solve that problem? By having a lead character you can actually hang something on. By having Daniel Craig's being, number one, the bad guy, uh, the, the reformed bad guy who has access to uh, to other gunslingers. Um, that gives him a place in the narrative. He's got the only remembered contact with aliens so that gives him place and he's got the only effective weapon so he occupies so many spaces in the narrative but has nothing to to be hung on the, the only character that he has any emotional connection to is dead by the time the story starts right uh it's usually this is a character uh, abigail spencer is also an actress i like a lot so i was excited to see she was in this film and she just exists uh i mean she's fridged before the narrative proper starts it mm -hmm. just kind of sucks and it gives nothing to hang Daniel Craig's character on. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of the at the crux of this problem, Arthur, is that's where the irons and the fire start being a problem, is we've got to introduce all these subplots and all these side characters because there's nothing that we can hang on Daniel Craig because, number one, he has no memory, and number two, his memory is really not that interesting, to be honest. 
I wonder about uh, something of a theological handle in this film, and I don't know that this is very well fleshed out either. But the name of the town's absolution. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, you're being granted forgiveness. You know, having repented of your sins is is what a, what a priest would give. Is they give absolution, and usually that absolution is contingent upon uh, certain positive actions, uh-huh. you know, sort of signs of penance. Um, that happen, and of course, uh, what ends up happening to Daniel Craig's character as he's making his way to Absolution, where they all meet and you know sort of assemble our Avengers uh, for this particular movie, is Clancy Brown's character. And I love Clancy Brown. I just Clancy oh, Brown. He's so good. Yeah, and he's playing this this you know sort of he's playing Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown as a Protestant preacher of some sort in, uh, in this town, and I, I mean, I'm I'm down for it. And he says he's got a couple of interesting lines where he says, "I've seen good men do bad, and I've seen bad men do good." And then he says, I don't care what kind of man you were, it's what kind of man you are. And I wonder if that doesn't sort of um, – it, it's like a theological way into thinking about our relationship to history. Well, it's it's part of what's supposed to make us care about Daniel Craig, right? Daniel yeah. Craig's had his memory of being a outlaw wiped, and now it's a second chance to be a good guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's that's what we're supposed to care about his character for. Clancy, Clancy Brown exists to remind us of the, the opportunity – and the promise of repentance, right? And uh, you're right, a, a reminder of historical uh, badness that we're, we have the opportunity to turn away from. Uh, and, and I think that is what is at the core of the emotion of Craig getting his memory back. Yeah, he must recover the memory. He can't have amnesia yeah. and, he, be absol- and be absolved. Yeah, yeah, he has to remember that he was a bad guy and choose to stay the course of being a good guy, which is just, you know, before he got his memory, what came naturally to him. Uh, so it's it's an interesting aspect for that character, and I think an interesting trope in Amnesia storylines is that when you get your memory back, sometimes it's not a memory you want. Mm-hmm. It's a memory that you are not a good person. Uh, it's the case for uh, the Born Identity, as I recall. Uh, it's kind of part of the case in the Long Kiss Goodnight. So a couple of, and it's the case in Memento. Uh, and so it's all definitely three, the case in Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Too. So many of our Amnesia picks, uh, it's the, the the it's the the Oedipus. Uh, thing right i mean it's this this trope that goes all the way back to the play oedipus rex of sometimes the knowledge that you think you want is going to be the thing that damns you um but for daniel craig getting the memories back as you mentioned is essential to the absolution that's been promised uh i don't know that it works in terms of making the the emotions of the story feel realer and more present uh but you're right that it is interesting thematically mm-hmm. to have Clancy Brown as this character introduce this idea of absolution in the town. I mean it's a little on the nose, but I like that kind of yeah. thing. I, I'm honestly a fan of that kind of stuff because it's uh, a very westerny thing, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then of course, you know, he drinks peyote to sort of remember. Every Western should have a vision quest. That's my yeah. opinion. Um, but yeah, but th- then again, um, I wonder if it- it's suggesting perhaps, and I-, I know this is not a wrong idea, and this is again on the nose and sort of obvious that the way forward for um, you know the American imaginary is to remember its historical past and recognize that in that story is a story of bad people doing good things and good people doing bad things and everywhere in between, and that we sort of see all of it in its in its full ugly and glory and everything else put together but then say now let's not do that anymore let's recognize that there's a pattern yeah. that's been in place that, that, that daniel craig still has muscle memory you know even though he has no memory at all he has and again we have no i have no memory of the 1860s 
obviously, because, you know, I was in Europe. And uh, just kidding. Uh, That's very clever what you just did there. Uh, I, but I have no memory of that. And so, uh, but at the same time, I must remember that so that I, and recognize that I have muscle memory. I am part of a culture that is tied to that moment. And I have muscle memory from the 1860s that's embedded in who I am. And that we all have muscle memory embedded in the, uh, again, the heritage of the institutions of slavery, of genocide, of of the, uh, of, again, these sort of... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm just uh, atrocities. The, the tro- well, I, I was going to say just sort of the holding back of women in general. You know, just yeah. that, that sort of vague misogyny, um, and again, and sometimes very, very not vague, specific, and you know, egregious forms of misogyny that are part of American culture. That I, even though I may not be guilty of any particular actions of that, I have the muscle memory of it, and unless I remember that's where I got it, I can't stop it. And that seems to be the way you find your way to that. That's your penance. Well, and that's, I mean, as a cowboys and aliens so importantly reminds us, that's the work that needs to be done. We've got to remember what was done wrong uh, in the past so we can come together and say, uh, yeah, good people do good things, bad things, bad people do good things, but we're all human and stuck in this together. And uh, let's not forget that we are in a big dark forest uh, filled with, uh, you know, potentially uh, other beings that want to come take our stuff. So we've got to get together, and we've got to band together and start being nice to each other so we can be mean to the uh, cosmic invaders. Absolutely. So I, I'm I mean, playing high stakes here, guys. I don't just want a, a nice uh, kumbaya hand-holding world because I think it's, why can't we all get along? I'm thinking about the long game, y'all. Because the aliens are coming. Because they're coming, dog. They're, they're coming. Dalton wants to build a dome. He does want to build a dome. Mm, I'm thinking more of a Stargate, um, but this is more to do with uh, interstellar travel. Are there drones? Um, there's got to be drones. Uh, you got to assume that any sufficiently technologically advanced force is going to really... I mean, casualties can't be something we have to consider. We've got to have battle ready. Is drones. there a space force? Uh, there's going to be Gundams uh, in this perfect world. <laughs> Look, if you give me the keys to the kingdom, Run away. you're not going to. We're not looking back. I like Dalton President. Oh my! Uh, my my campaign promise is uh, a dome. A- alien defense uh, readiness by twenty forty six. We're gonna build that dome, and the aliens are gonna pay for that dome. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! And this is how it starts. The cultural muscle memory. This is how it starts. Damn! I think we've all learned a valuable lesson today about the, about the terrors of. Uh, of uh, judging n- newcomers to your home. Oh, my Completely word. Completely off topic, kind of. Um, have you seen the uh, trailer and announcement for Netflix's Space Force from the creators of The Office yes. with Steve Carell? I have I'm not aware. seen it yet. I can't wait. What a time to be alive. Indeed. Indeed. Well, let's render a verdict. Uh, I feel like we've done what work needs to be done here. Yeah, we've done more than justice, I think, to this particular film. So show for trash, else for instead, <laughs> Mr. Arthur Gordon. Um, I, I've only got two, uh, I'm going to say trash, uh, and I've got two insteads to go with it. Uh, one is the often name-dropped Memento, as has been brought up already several times tonight. Uh, but the other one is uh, another fun Daniel Craig uh, genre bit, and that is Logan Lucky from Steven Soderbergh. Oh, yeah. Uh, where Daniel Craig is just getting to have a ball in a kind of unconventional role for him. Um, and those would be my, my insteads for Cowboys and Aliens. Excellent. What do you say, Dalton? Shelf for trash, Elser instead. I'm with Arthur. Yeah, this this is not great. Uh, you don't need this in your life. Go go, go do something else. Uh, what, what should we watch instead? Well, let's uh, start with uh, Iron Man from John Favreau. Uh, Arthur has mentioned that he is kind of a, a journeyman filmmaker, and 
uh, I think that stops him from getting the credit he deserves. I mean, uh, this is a guy that helped launch a multi-billion dollar franchise in in, in the way of Iron Man. Um, and, and there is a, a reason that that is still held up kind of as one of the better examples of the superhero genre. It's a great looking film, and I think a lot of that has to do with Favreau. Uh, it's clunky in places, um, but uh, it has been said by people smarter than me that the job of direction is tone management. Uh, and I think if uh, you watch Iron Man, you see John Favreau going to work and uh, keeping the tone of that film under control and making it always do what uh, it's supposed to be doing. So I, I would say go check that out instead. It's a it's a better example of him working uh, in similar studio conditions. Uh, what else should you check out? Uh, I'm going to say Van Helsing, uh, the film starring <laughs> uh, our, our, our much beloved huge jacked man. Um, huge jacked man uh, in Van Helsing is so so weird and so dumb and so funny but i think it it's kind of the closest thing to cowboys and aliens it is a very much uh, a genre mashup of this kind of western victorian steampunk monster movie um i, I think it, it does a good job of that connecting itself to uh, cowboys and aliens just in terms of the sort of film that it is they're both not very good but they're both you know fun at the very least if nothing else and uh, they do a lot of interesting things i think van helsing is much more leaning into this uh, mashup aesthetic than uh, Cowboys and Aliens is, but I think there's some connective tissue there. Arthur, you've got a look on your face uh, talking about Van Helsing. What's what's going on, man? I thought it was pronounced Hug. Hug? Hug Jackman. Oh, ah, uh, uh, Hug Jackman. Mm. I would. I bet Hugh Jackman. You've been waiting all man that, that long was, to make that joke. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Worth it because now I got to ask uh, Hugh Jackman. Good hugger. What do we think? I certainly with those arms. Certainly. He's got a huge wingspan. He's like 6'4". Those claws might be a bit painful, though. No, not good for hugs. Bad mm, for hugs. My bad. final my final suggestion is uh, Dog Soldiers for similar mashup reasons. Uh, Dog Soldiers is a much different movie, a much grimmer film than any of the other films we've mentioned so far, but one I love quite a bit. All righty. Well, guys, I'm going to say Shelf because it's such Weird. an oddity. What? Interesting. I kind of like that, though. It's, it, I think it is a shelfer because it's just so weird. There's not another thing like it. And it's very it's very 2011. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a very much of its time film. Yeah. And and so I, I just I, I I'm I, I weirdly I'm finding myself saying, yeah, it's weird to be talking about films that like came out right when we were starting the show and looking back on that time in film history and saying, no, that that time already kind of has a codified style. It, it's weird to see it within within a decade, but I think the early 2010s have a, a very distinct style, especially American studio movies. They're distinct in the, their lack of style in some ways, but it, it's very much the, that kind of studio, can we turn anything into a franchise uh, idea. Yeah, and I think uh, my else is going to be, again, the weirdly sort of reflective, the weirdly sort of reflexive, the weirdly sort of theoretical and, you know, thoughtful kind of narrative that is in place there perhaps by accident in this film and that's looking at the lone ranger um which is a movie i keep defending um and i don't care but i i think there's something to it and in the in the in a very similar kind of vein and so uh, my i'm gonna say shelf and else uh the lone ranger starring johnny depp i know right but um that is uh where i'm gonna go with that a strange strange choice uh dustin yeah uh, I did have a marathon idea there. Okay, yeah. Uh, upon Dalton's inspiration, uh, movies from 2012, movies from the year we were born. Oh, baby. Oh, Good Trash was born. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're doing that marathon uh, soon. Yeah, that's got to happen. I like that. That'd be a fun one. Well, that's it. This, oh. That's Quick and the Dead. 
or uh, Cowboys and Aliens. Quick and the Dead's not is a different thing. Sorry. <laughs> is it is it, the, <laughs> is it the next thing? He was a bit premature there. <laughs> little, That's what I hear. A little early. <laughs> hey, look. Before we knew what was happening, it happened. Hey, look. Two minutes is all it takes because it's so intimate. <laughs> because it's so intense. It's so intense. Thank you. Shit. That's I should, right. I should really know our buffer music better. That's <laughs> You'd think you know by now for seven years. <laughs> Turns out we don't play through the headsets every episode. <laughs> so yeah, we're 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 doing quick in the dead. Next yeah, week. checks well, out. I'll stay for that. We're uh, that we're going back on the the uh, tombstone trajectory as a uh, '90s action. Yeah, we're thing. we're we're we really thought about limiting ourselves to one '90s action western. We couldn't do it. Yeah, quick too many and, good ones. Quick in the Dead is a gem. Uh, yeah, it's perfect fodder for this show as well. It's, it's, it's something we've talked about on the show a bunch, too. Yeah. I think if you uh, you went back and did what Keithan did uh, and took all of our Else Instead's gameplay movie choices, and that's you know how we ended up doing that episode of Children of Men, I feel like Quick in the Dead is probably in the top ten of films that comes up a lot yeah. on the show. So I'm excited about it. It'll yeah. be a good time. So yeah, you keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. For all things Good Trash, head on over to www.goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music is made by friend of the show Aaron Rodgers, and our outro music this week is Riders on the Storm, performed by The Doors. Girl, you gotta love your man.